0: Good evening. Uh, we continue on in our series tonight on Ephesians, and uh, I've titled the the message "Hostility: Deal with It" because um, I reckon it looks at hostility, obviously. Uh, well, we live in a world that's got a lot of hostility in it—a world full of uh, wars, like we've just uh, been seeing that's going on between. Lebanon and Israel, and they're constantly running war on terror, um, where I read in Saturday's Age that um, Baghdad experiences 200 deaths a day. That's how many people get delivered to the morgue um, at that conflict. Um, we also see uh, hostility rearing its head um, you know, in our workplaces, uh, in our schools, in families, in friendships, in ourselves and, and even in our church. In churches, it seems that, in a way, hostility permeates. It's present in every kind of relationship, even in relationships um, with those we love. It seems like hostility seems to always be lurking somewhere. You know, think about it for a moment. The amazing uh, expression of love it is when two people get together. Uh, they Didn't grow up in a family. They come together and they start to get to know each other. They get to the point where they just say, I just love you so much. I want to spend the rest of my life with you in a marriage. You know, their love is like so deep. You know, they just choose. I'm going to commit to you for the rest of my life. That's how much I love you. It's pretty amazing. But hostility still seems to creep in, even in that kind of the ultimate expression of love between people. And then you have friendships people that choose to hang out with each other because you actually like the other person and uh, they're your mate but then even in friendships in good friendships you have hostility um, often coming to the surface it's like a cancer it's like a cancer that seeks to kind of get into everything it's almost like it's got a mind of its own and it's seeking to tear people apart well I think we know that the world has got a problem here. I think it's clear. I think it's very, very obvious if you look in the world. So my question to us is, do we care? We see our families being torn apart through hostility. We see friends being torn apart through hostility. We see ourselves struggling internally with hostility. see countries being ripped apart. Do we care? And I think the answer is, yes, we do. But if we do care, if you care, let me ask you, what's your strategy? What's your strategy for bringing about world peace? Now, at the grassroots level, on a personal level, are you doing anything about it? You know, can you even do anything about it? Are you dealing with uh, hostility in your own life? Yeah, you know, the way you respond to people around you. Are you seeking others? Are you seeking to help others deal with hostility as well? The solution, the remedy, is not out of reach. If you've got your uh, Bibles, um, just ask you to grab them and turn to Ephesians chapter two. It's a great thing to do to bring your Bibles uh, and to follow along um, as, we, as we preach here in the evenings. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 to 22. It's titled, One in Christ. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done in the body, by the hands of men, remember that at that time you were separate, separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ, who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him, we both have access to the father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as a chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. <coughs> There's lots of great stuff uh, in this letter that Paul's written to the Ephesians, so much. Now, hostility, it's a, it's a strange thing because at the beginning of creation, beginning of the creation of the world, we understand that there was actually perfect peace. People were at peace with one another and at peace with God. When God first created, there was no hostility. But somehow, somewhere since the beginning of creation, hostility has entered the world. The perfect picture before was present, represented by the Garden of Eden where God operated in close proximity with people, talking with them, spending time with them in the Garden. There was peace between God and people, and would you believe it, there was peace between woman and man maybe they understood each other back then as well so the first question that really needs asking and answering is why is there hostility and where did hostility actually come from well the first couple of verses gives an example of hostility that's being dealt with between two people groups and this gives us some insight into why there is hostility so if you look back at uh, verse 11 again, it says, Therefore remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision that done in the body by the human, by hands of men, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God. The two people groups having the tiff, are the Gentiles and the people of Israel. Let's um, just break them apart and have a quick look at each one for a moment. The Israelites, also known as uh, the Jews, um, they have a very special place in world history. Their special place is based entirely on uh, the fact that God has chosen them to be his special people. And God has actually grown this nation Israel out of Two people from Abraham and Sarah. And he chose this people, Israel, so that he could uh, model <clears throat> to the world what it looks like for people to have a relationship with the living God. That's what he'd chosen for. And he promised in this way Israel great blessings, You know, of um <clears throat> a hope that they could actually experience life with God now and he gave them rules and regulations so that they could enjoy um, this life with God, that they might even have a hope in eternity. And he even gave, them, gave every little boy, especially, a little sign that they would remember this boy. Gave them uh, this thing called circumcision. Do we, do we know what that means? Certainly, okay, for those of you that don't, it's a process when you... No, sorry, I won't go there. Hopefully you know what it is. The Israelites, the people of God, people, God's chosen people is on the one hand. The Gentiles, Gentiles in short was everybody else, everybody else in the whole world. All those people that weren't citizens in Israel, they weren't God's people. They were the Gentiles and they were called the uncircumcised. Every little boy was was going, thanks very much for that one. Anyway, girls, you don't get it obviously, but anyway. The Gentiles are not the people of God. And as verse 12 says, Gentiles were excluded from citizenship in Israel, foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. And there was hostility between these two people groups because God had told his people, I don't want you to relate with the Gentiles. He said, you're my people. I don't want you to relate with these Gentiles. And he said, I want you to be holy. And the word holy is like, I want you to set yourself apart. I want you to be away from these people over here who are the Gentiles. Because the Gentiles, they love things that God didn't love. They love doing things that God didn't want them to do. Indulge in whatever pleasures you want, whatever uh, makes you feel good, you know, whatever it is, that's what they like doing. We're the Israelites, They were called to acknowledge God in all their ways. The Gentiles, 99.9% dominated by people who flat out ignored God, flat out rejected God and the way uh, he wanted people to live. So God obviously doesn't want his people to reject him. So he says, I want you to be set apart. I don't want you to sin or reject me or ignore me like the Gentiles do. I don't want you to be influenced by them. Now, this call of God to stay away from the Gentiles is a key reason for the hostility. And it's sure, it's developed over the years, and there's probably lots of human reasons why the hostility is between the Israelite and the Gentile. But in the beginning, the call to separate was from God to prevent Gentiles influencing uh, his holy people. Now, in this hostility we have the hint to why there is hostility in the world. The reason God told his people to separate from the Gentiles is not because he hates Gentiles. No, actually, he positively loves them. And we're going to learn this in the, the rest of the passage. The reason God tells his people to separate from the Gentiles was because of the insidious the cancerous nature of sin. Sin being the way the human heart just wants to turn away. Just wants to turn away and reject the one who uh, created the world. So from Romans 1.18, we understand that God hates sin for this very reason. It reads in Romans 1.18, The wrath or the anger of God is being revealed against all the godlessness and wickedness of men. God is positively hostile towards sin. And you know why? God's hostile towards sin because sin causes every hostility. Sin calls people to reject the one that brings them life. Sin beckons people to leave the very God that enables life to exist. And then when people live contrary to the way this world was created to work, everything goes wrong. Everything gets distorted. The sin of humanity causes hostility. God's hostile towards sin because his sin causes hostility. And it was true when first entered the world, and it's still true today. still true today. You know, have you ever had a, a verbal slinging match or uh, an inner kind of hostile thought or a, maybe a bit of a fisty cup with someone that wasn't the result of sin? You know, I, I doubt it. I used to play golf um, over the summer months of, uh, of high school, and there was a lot of hostility in my game. And I'd play golf with my brothers and they, my, one of them especially was really good at just teasing me when I did a bad shot. I'd do a bad shot quite often and he would tease me quite often as well. And combined with my psychopath-like temper, I used to then chase him around the golf course with the one wood. And I was seriously going to smack my brother in the head if he didn't slow down. Now this little tiff, this minor hostility we can attribute to sin. We can attribute uh, my temper is probably not what God wants me to be like, and and my brother's kind of taunts and uh, teasing probably wasn't what God wanted either, even though it was hilarious to watch for my older brother. You know, every action and attitude that causes hostility is. Sin in nature is sin-based. It's doing what God doesn't want us to do. So why do we have hostility? Uh, because of sin, because of the way people reject God. Well, the million-dollar question is, okay, we know that. Why is there hostility, sin? The million-dollar question is, how do we deal with this hostility, with this sin? Now, how do you deal with it currently? You know, is it effective in your life the way you deal with it? How do people in this world deal with hostility? You know, like the governments of two fighting nations, or a work colleague, or whatever. You know, is there diplomacy? Or is there some smooth talker that's trying to, you know, pave the way for nice, healthy relationships? Doesn't matter uh, what way, without God, it doesn't work. It doesn't totally work. Paul goes on to say that God has a perfect plan for dealing with it. And the plan will bring peace on the, not only on the horizontal level between people, but also peace on the vertical level between God and humanity. And his plan involves dealing with the root problem. Please look with me at verse 13. It says, uh, <clears throat> But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. Now, it will become, be no new news for many of you, but it's Jesus Christ who is God's plan to do away with hostility. It's in Jesus that people find reconciliation, that people find peace with God. Where sin once picked us up and kind of landed us far from God, the blood of Jesus and the death of Christ enables us to come back. This is profound. The barrier has been torn down. Look, Paul goes on to say, verse 14 For he, Jesus himself, is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. The death of Jesus has this amazing, peace bringing, uniting ability. And it's done the miraculous of making these two people, the the Gentile and the Jew, the Israelite, it's done the amazing thing of actually making two enemies, one, like unified. He's made the way for two to come together. The dividing wall we hear is hostility. It's, It's been destroyed. And it says that this is actually the very purpose of why Jesus came. I wonder what you think the purpose of Jesus' coming was. From verse 15 again he says, His purpose, this is Jesus' purpose, was to create, was create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near." The purpose of Jesus was to make peace. And he did this by dying on the cross. It's the only way. It's the only way you can deal with hostility. It's the only way. The problem is that uh, to deal with sin, we know that sin must be punished. This is how the cross works. Sin must be punished, but the only punishment that suffices for for sinning against God, is death. Sounds a little bit harsh, but that's the just punishment. So when Jesus, and not just the man, but actually the Son of God, divine himself, when he died on the cross, his death wasn't like one person dying. It was equivalent to um, more than all the people in the world who have lived and who will ever live and who will ever come. It's equivalent to his death more than compensates for the sins of the whole world. He died our punishment so we could have our hostility dealt with. Now this is amazing uh, that Jesus' death makes it possible. Jew and Gentile to come together. um, People, Gentiles to come together and most profoundly, people can come together with God. Verse 18 reads, for through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently you are no longer foreigners and aliens but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as a chief cornerstone. It's faith in Jesus Christ that we can join the people of God We become members of his household. We can share in the, the blessings of the people of God Hope now with God, hope of an eternity spent with God. How do we deal with hostility? It's peace is found in Jesus Christ. Now, this has an amazing relevance for us. You know, at the beginning of the message, I was talking about the presence of hostility all around us, you know, that seems to be lurking in in every kind of relationship we have. In governments, between governments and countries, at work, at school, at uni, in friendships, in families, in churches, even within us, ourselves kind of hostile within. So the question is how can Jesus' breath, death bring peace where hostility so often rears its ugly head? That's the question. What's the relevance? How does that work for us? I want us to look at the individual level first. And there are two key points to want to just want to alert you to. The first part is, and for those of you who are just checking out Jesus and you haven't given your trust to him, this is key for you. Firstly, through faith in Christ, we overcome the hostility that exists between us and God. We can find peace, find perfect relationship with God. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, I guess that sometimes relationships in your life get st- uh, strained and sometimes broken. And if you could think objectively about what happened in that relationship, um, there would be an obvious cause for the breakdown or maybe a series of causes over, the, over a while that strains and breaks. Sometimes it's really obvious. Sometimes it's really obvious. Like uh, when you have friends, they're falling apart because one of the Blokes try to kiss his mate's girlfriend, or something like that, um, or maybe it's you know you've got a there's a relationship and there's domestic violence in it, and you go hey there's a cause for kind of that relationship breaking down. And the really obvious cause, if you don't know Christ tonight, the really obvious cause for why you aren't in relationship with God is is sin. And uh, when you turn to Jesus and you ask Him to forgive you then he forgives you completely and you can find perfect peace with God. It's a remedy for your hostility against God. Secondly, for the individual, through faith in Christ, we can overcome hostility to others. It's directly linked to the first one. Um, It's pretty hard to control what other people do to you. Actually, it's impossible to control that. But what we can control is our reaction or our response, our attitude To others, now I think that sometimes uh, we as Christians we kind of think we haven't got control of how we react. And uh, if this is you, some or maybe you look at uh, Romans like this, and you you try to this is why you feel like it's so hard and why you can't control the way you react. In Romans six and seven, we hear talk like sin reigning in your body, about sin being our master talks about being enslaved by sin. It even says, talks about knowing what's good and right, but not being able to do what is right because of the power of sin. So maybe you feel like this. It's all too hard. You know, sin has power over me. I can't, I can't do it. But here's a truth. When we put our trust in Jesus, we overcome the power of sin. And we have the power to choose to do what is right. This is so true. We are victors over sin. Romans six, seventeen 18 says, But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, though you used to be before you gave your life to Christ, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted, to follow Christ. You have been set free from sin. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. This passage says we're not slaves to sin. We're not trapped. We've been set free. We don't have to be hostile anymore. We can respond rightly. Now, I don't see myself as a very hostile person, but there are definitely times I move down that line. And when I realise I'm being hostile in the moment or after the moment, I ask God to help me. And this is, if you don't do this, I encourage you to do this, to ask God to help you, to give you power by His Spirit. But there's something else He wants us to do. He wants us to decisively choose peace. He wants us to choose to react with peace instead of hostility. He wants us to claim and know that we've got power and victory over sin, over hostility in our life. We're no longer subjected to the reign of sin. Now, there's a classic English TV series called The Young Ones. Anyone seen The Young Ones? Yeah, some of you. One, that's great. There are four students um, and they're living together in a house. There's Mike, Vivian, Rick and Neil. Mike is your mainstream, kind of like normal looking person. Um, Vivian is a punk rocker. Rick is your progressive political activist, very kind of feminine, if you get my drift. And Neil, Neil, Neil's this hippie, clearly smoked far too much marijuana in his university time. And he's this guy that typifies indecisiveness. An individual that's got no power over what's happening to him and no power about how he reacts. And you've got this household, and all this funny stuff always happens to him, all this you know, bad stuff, but it's kind, of, it's kind of English humor, so it's funny, you know. And Neil's always saying stuff like, oh no, guys, guys, what are we gonna do, you know? <laughs> We're students, we've run out of power, how are we gonna keep warm, it's winter outside. Hey, fellas, fellas, Vivian's got his head knocked off by the train. What are we going to (laughs) do? It's like he's powerless to act. Can't do anything. It's like, guys, what are we going to do? As believers, we are not like Neil. (laughs) Oh, no, guys, what are we going to do? thinking hostile thoughts. What am I going to do, guys, fellas? (laughs) We've got the power to overcome sin. We've got power through faith in Christ. I'm certainly not saying it's a piece of cake to be empowered by God's spirit, to choose the way of peace, but we need to grow in our ability to do it. We're set free to live for God. We're living in victory. And we need to know that and choose the way of peace. Know it, live it. Dealing with hostility, it starts with us. Individual level. Let's look at the bigger picture. How can we affect the wider hostility around us? The local community. You could probably, um, you'd find domestic violence happening in houses around this church very close by. Um, verbal abusive relationships between parents and kids, uh, between kids, between mum and dad, um, hostility between people of different races. You know, we we know our state. You know, there's probably hosti- hostility going on all around the place, our country, globally in the world, Lebanon, in Baghdad. It all comes down to people not. Uh, people who need to overcome the power of sin. God's chosen means, like I've already said, is Christ dying for them on the cross. I mean, hostility can be overcome. Hostility can be overcome at the local, the state, the country, the global level. When individuals and complete people groups come to faith in Christ. In Christ, people can have peace with God and victory over hostility. It's what the world needs. When individuals come to faith, they can choose the way of peace. I mean, if you look at Paul, Paul's a guy who's uh, written you know, lots of letters in the New Testament of the Bible. He's encouraging people to follow Christ. And he was a guy that was hostile towards God. He hated, no, he thought he wasn't hostile towards God. He thought he was a, a good and devout Jew. But he was hostile towards this new faith and towards what God was doing. And then God converts him. This guy comes to faith in God, in Christ, and then he becomes this amazing Advocate of peace in Christ. It's amazing. And every, any person who's ever read the Bible, a, a letter from Paul, is being encouraged by a man who once was just this hostile force against the Gentiles, against Christian Gentiles, against Christians. Someone like that. Imagine helping someone like that come to know Christ and the effect that they have. Now, we won't have complete world peace until Jesus returns and brings it, but we can be world change agents today. This is not outside of our reach. We can bring peace to this world one person at a time. I want to ask you, what people do you associate with? At work or at home or uh, at school, university? What people do you associate with that don't know peace with God? That's the people that you start with. That you start praying for them, and encourage them to think about this peace in Christ. This is Jesus' purpose. Uh, is it our purpose? The passage concludes, um, and here's a beautiful picture of what God is doing with this new people that he's making, with every person who comes, overcomes a hostility caused by sin. In verse 21 and 22, it says, in him the whole world, or the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by spirit. God is uh, uniting a people for himself in Christ, at peace with each other, and at peace with God. And this people that belongs to God will worship him, will live lives that worship him. They'll be living temples. They'll be a living temple together, it says, that lives and breathes and speaks and sings praise to God, and God will live in them by spirit. This people is being built to praise God. Please note it's being Built. It hasn't been finished yet. And it's looking for the current building blocks, that's you and me and other believers. It's looking us, looking towards us to grow in peace. And then it's looking for more building blocks, more people who might find peace with God in Jesus. When we deal with hostility in our own life through faith in Christ and help others to find peace with God, the people of God grows. It grows and it grows. And as it grows, it gives God more and more glory. I want to conclude. I want to ask people a serious question about miscongeniality. Has anyone seen miscongeniality? Yeah, don't be shy about this, guys. Have you seen it? Yeah, that's right. It's a bad movie, isn't it? Sandra Sandra Bullock, in this movie she plays a detective who goes undercover as a contestant in a beauty contest. Um, For memory I think the beauty contest, beauty pageant is to determine who will be Miss America, the hardcore Miss Congeniality, is that right? Yeah, there's a couple out there. All right, um, so who's going to be Miss USA? And at this one point in this beauty pageant, all the contestants are asked by Stan, the presenter, what is the one most important thing our society needs? And contestant after contestant responds, world peace. That's what they all say. And the socially, obviously the socially, politically-minded audience who love world peace, they cheer ecstatically. That's amazing, they say. Clearly these girls are extremely intelligent and thoughtful in their responses. When Sandra Bullock is asked, what's the one most important society needs, one most important thing society needs, she kind of thinks in her detective mind and she says... That would be harsher punishment for parole violators, Stan. That's right. And the crowd was silent. And then she said, and world peace, to which the audience went, ah. <laughs> world peace. Even contestants in a beauty pageant know that the one most important thing our society needs is world peace. A peace with God that is found through faith in Christ. A peace with God that gives us the power to overcome hostility in our own lives. What's your strategy for hostility? You know, are you going to do anything about hostility in this world? Are you going to do anything about bringing peace to our world? Three things. Three things to remember for the coming week. Three things to remember. When you eat your wheat bix, or your Sultana bran, or your toast, or your coffee kicker, or whatever it is, when you start the day, three things: give your lives back to Christ and find peace with God. Give your lives back to Christ and find peace with God. The second is, in Christ, know that you have victory over sin, and so you have the power to choose the way of peace. In Christ, you have victory over sin. Choose the way of peace. And thirdly, help put an end to hostility by telling people about the peace in Christ they can have. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you and we just marvel at your plan to bring people back into relationship with you, to bring peace to a world full of hostility. We praise you, God. And we just ask, Father, that that you would bring peace in our lives, Lord. Lord, that tonight we give you our lives back again. We say, have your way, Lord. We want to live for you, Jesus. We ask you to forgive us. And Father God, we also pray that you'd help us overcome hostility and you'd help us reach out to those who need to hear about you. We ask this and we pray this in the mighty, powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.